I am going to leave you speechless right now because if you go on Google and you type in the speed of light, you get this number. So watch what happens when you put this number on Google Earth. Before you say, that's just a coincidence, did you know that the Great Pyramid is almost perfectly aligned to what is called True North? Even more so than the attempt that modern day scientists made when they built the Paris Observatory. But what makes this even more shocking is when you remember that this ancient group of people who built the Great Pyramid had no compass. Still think it's a coincidence? Well did you know that the Great Pyramid sides are on the exact line of the equator? And the three pyramids of Giza are perfectly aligned to match the belt of Orion. When you look at all the facts, it doesn't take a genius to understand that whoever built the most accurately aligned structure on Earth was not a simple people group using primitive methods, but incredibly intelligent workers, sustained by some hidden insight. And personally, I'd say I'm about 99% sure I know who built the Great Pyramid. But before I reveal my opinion, let's look at the four possible candidates. Okay, number one. Elon Musk's speculation. Because of the precise location of the Great Pyramids, because we don't know when they were created, who made them, why they were created, and how the people made them, well, the only possible conclusion is that humans did not make this very complex structure thousands of years ago, but something else must have designed the Great Pyramid. So a little while ago, Elon Musk tweeted this, and although it would appear that he's being sarcastic, many people took him very seriously. And they also believe that these same beings are the same creatures that created Stonehenge and the figures at Easter Island. Others claim, no, 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 it must have been a Goliath-like creature. You see, in 1996, a Japanese construction company carried out a test to see how many men it would require to move one of the pyramid's two and a half ton building blocks. The answer was 18 men. So the argument goes like this. If some of the largest building companies today would struggle to recreate the pyramids, why are we expected to believe that it was done by mere humans using simple hand tools? But if we add one of these large, oversized creatures to the mix, well then it would make the pyramids a lot more easier to build. So, I'm curious, do you think that this is a credible suggestion for the building of the Great Pyramid? Well, I know that some of you are going to be very shocked when I tell you my suggestion in a moment's time. Number two, the ancient Egyptians. It's no secret that the ancient Egyptian writings say very little about the pyramids. Some would argue that they say nothing at all about who built the pyramids, and yet this is still the mainstream view that yes, the ancient Egyptians are the ones who built these amazing structures because they are based in their land. The Greek historian Eroditus, when informed by Egyptian priests, he made an estimation that it took 400,000 men to build the pyramids and they were working in three-month shifts and then they would have a new workforce who would swap with them to have a fresh pair of legs, if you like, to recommence the work. If this is true, and I'm going to come back to this in a moment's time, I think we have severely underestimated the 
mastermind of the Egyptian people. The Great Pyramid was made up of 2.2 million stone blocks. It's 13 acres wide, it weighs 6 million tons and it stands at 481 feet high, making it the world's tallest building for thousands of years until the Eiffel Tower was built in the 1800s. One theory is that because the Egyptians were head and shoulders above the rest of the world, they knew how to build sledges, rollers, pulley systems to build the pyramids. In fact, it's believed that they even transformed the landscape, digging out canals that flowed from the Nile, and that there were workmen who carried the materials on boats to the pyramid building sites. In fact, heaps of water has been found beneath the pyramids at Giza, which supports this theory. But there is another controversial theory of why there's water beneath the pyramids, which we're going to visit very soon. But first, I'm not sure whether to tell you this or not, but the reason why people doubt that the ancient Egyptians built the pyramids is because the claim was that the pyramids were tombs. This was a place where the kings would go to be sort of mummified. They'd be put there to prepare their spirits for the afterlife. And yet, after the many excavations that have taken place, after the many discoveries, after all the wall arts, all the artifacts, there has still been no evidence, not one single body that has ever been found in any of the pyramids. Bodies have been found next to the archaeological sites, but there's never been one found inside the pyramids. Now, you've got to admit to me that this is getting very exciting. Do you think that the ancient Egyptians are the ones to build the pyramids? Well, I'm going to tell you my answer very shortly, but first, allow me to introduce you to our third candidate, an ancient lost civilization. Okay, okay, I know this theory sounds a little far-fetched, but this is actually gaining a lot of momentum, especially thanks to the likes of Joe Rogan and Graham Hancock. The specific example I give is above the King's Chamber in the Great Pyramid are five further chambers. And these chambers are roofed and floored with granite beams that weigh about 70 tons each. And there are hundreds of them. And these 70-ton granite beams, which to put in context, a 70-ton beam is equivalent in weight to 35 large SUVs. These 70-ton granite beams have been elevated to a height of more than 350 feet above the ground and carefully and precisely uh, placed in position. It is very hard for archaeologists to explain how that was done using purely leverage and mechanical advantage. That's yeah. really old. It's incredibly <laughs> it's like old, yeah. To, yeah. to think that someone back then could do something that would perplex us today yeah. with modern machinery. This is not a simple, and I've seen some of the conventional explanations of the construction of the pyramid, and they conveniently neglect those chambers above the king's chamber. They do. They but conveniently neglect a lot of those massive stones. Yeah. You already know that even the most advanced technology couldn't replicate the pyramids. You already know that the structure and location is even more precise than our finest modern day buildings. You already know that the pyramids are perhaps the most perplexing things on earth. And so when we look at all of the dimensions, at all of the alignments, we cannot simply say that this is just a pure 
coincidence. That's why when we add all of this together, it's not completely balmy to believe that we're dealing with some kind of lost civilization who are harnessing a lost technology. But of course, this is only believed by people with an incredibly low IQ, right? Well, have you ever heard of this guy before? Nikola Tesla, the man responsible for 80% of the technology we use today, including X-ray, radar, laser and radio. Tesla believed that the Earth was a giant electrical generator and that we could use the planet with its poles to conduct wireless electricity. You probably thought that wireless electricity was a new technology, but all the way back in 1893 at the World's Fair, he shocked everyone by holding an isolated light bulb in his hand and he lit it naturally using the free electricity that runs through the earth. So take all of that into your mind, take a deep breath, because I'm going to introduce you to the plot twist of the century. Because of Nikola Tesla's work, this is why quite literally millions of people believe that the ancient pyramids are not tombs, but power plants emitting wireless technology. Hey, don't say I didn't warn you. I did say this was going to get controversial and I've still got to tell you who I think made the Great Pyramid. But first, look carefully at this Egyptian Ankh and then compare it to Tesla's oscillator. Now check out these ancient Egyptian carvings and notice what is it that this mysterious thing is holding. It looks like a wire and a bulb. But get this, in 1934, these three artifacts were found together in one of the pyramids. A ceramic pot, a tube of copper, a rod iron which contained a liquid acid, and all of these combined can be used to create a chemical reaction which produces electricity. Remember earlier how I told you that there was another theory for why there was water beneath the pyramids? Well, these same people who believe that these pyramids are energy sources, they believe that physioelectricity could be controlled by using the water from the Nile that runs beneath these pyramids. Look carefully at these sarcophaguses. These were clearly built into the pyramid as they were so large that you cannot move them. In fact, Egyptian ptologists, they believe that they were bull coffins. But those who believe this same theory say there's no way they were bull coffins. No, these are battery boxes. And in fact, in 2011, when a camera went inside one of these rooms, they found a large copper wire. And these same people claim that the hieroglyphics on the wall were showing some kind of wiring diagram. Whether you buy into these speculations or not, no one can deny that the genius Nikola Tesla was fascinated by the Great Pyramid and its potential to produce limitless energy. He even imitated the structure by building his own electromagnetic pyramid called the Warden Cliff Tower. This utilized the Earth's resonance, creating wireless energy. Tesla even said that he used it to wirelessly transmit pictures and sounds. But sadly, Tesla wasn't taken very seriously. And not only did many rip off his ideas, but in 1915, he ended up bankrupt with little reputation. And his transmitter tower was eventually destroyed by the authorities who were very suspicious of its capabilities. 
You know exactly what I'm going to say next. Do you think that these pyramids were in fact power plants? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think they are after we meet our final candidate. Number four, the Israelites. There are two schools of thought on this. The first one is this. We know that before the Exodus, before God freed the people of Israel from Egypt, we know that Pharaoh had put them under intense labour. They were building something for him. The Bible says, so the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. So could it be that the Israelites are the ones who built the pyramids? After all, it's been estimated by biblical scholars that there were nearly two million Israelites who were living in Egypt before the Exodus. So that would certainly be enough manpower to build these incredible structures. But as you can imagine, this view has received a lot of backlash with arguments like the craftsmanship, the precision and the art which took place on these pyramids could not have been done by those under forced labour. No, this was the work of passion and love by the most talented individuals in the land. But if we look at biblical history, this argument can actually be easily rebutted. Whenever God's people put their hand to a task and the Lord was with them, they prospered. King David never lost a battle. Daniel and his friends became the highest achievers in the land when they were under captivity. And when God's sacred ark was in the house of Obed-Edom, he saw nothing but success in all of his endeavours. So if God's people truly did build the pyramids, I personally believe that you would expect to see nothing but the highest level of excellence. However, the real reason that many people, including Christian scholars discount the Israelites as the builders of the pyramids is because the dates are completely different. You see, the Great Pyramid, according to Egyptian ologists, was built around 2500 BC, whilst the Israelites' exodus from Egypt was much later in the year 1400 BC. But again, I would argue that this isn't a game changer either. You see, Graham Hancock and his crew claim that the Great Pyramid is much older than 4,500 years old. Whilst others go the opposite way and say, no, no, it's even younger than the original 2,500 BC date because the carbon dating test that was done in 1984 was wrong. You see, a more recent test was done in 1995 and they stated that the first test was off by nearly two centuries. And not only this, the Egyptians were known for reusing their resources. So the wood and other resources that were tested could actually be much older than the pyramid itself. But the second school of thought is that the Israelite Joseph from the Bible is the one who orchestrated the building of these pyramids. And this is where the American politician Ben Carson was mocked profusely for holding this kind of view. My own personal theory is that Joseph built the pyramids in order to store grain. You know, it would have to be something awfully big. You stop and think about it. And I don't think it would just disappear over the course of time to store that much grain. Okay, so as I pointed out, Maeve, that was 1998, but he was right. asked about this recently. It's still my belief, yes. 
Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, well, the pyramids were made in a way that they had hermetically sealed compartments. You wouldn't need hermetically sealed compartments uh, for a sepulcher. You would need that if you were trying to preserve grain over a long period of time. But come on! Is it really that illogical to hold such a position? Well, Ron Wyatt certainly provided some very interesting evidence which should be included in our discussion. The Bible says, so he, that is Joseph, gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Ron Wyatt noticed that at the Saqqara complex there were 11 large pits, which the Egyptians had no explanation for. But it was noted that when these pits were excavated, bits of grain were discovered. Each pit was connected by chutes, and there was only one entrance to the grain pits, and you had to go through this complex to get there. Ron believed that this could have possibly been a place to sell grain to those who came to Egypt during the seven years of hunger, and that men would have sat in these cubicles with small tables to sell grain. Ron also engineered a possible replica of the machinery that could have been used to build the pyramids. He did this after observing hieroglyphics and discovering these large timber handles that were put into storage at the History Museum in Cairo. But I can hear exactly what you're thinking right now. You're saying to me, is there any evidence that Pharaoh had a chief advisor, a prime minister who managed the people through these seven years of adversity? Well, when I show you this, it's going to blow your mind. This is an ancient Egyptian stele. It's eight feet tall and on it, it gives the details of a historical account of when the Nile stopped flooding. And so because of this, the people experienced a period of seven years of hunger because they could not grow any crops. I wonder, does that sound familiar to you? So, the pharaoh of the time, Joseph, called upon a gifted young man called Imhotep for guidance. Imhotep found solutions for the hunger problem and was thus appointed as pharaoh's chief advisor, the second most powerful man in the land after pharaoh Joseph. Again, does that sound familiar to you? Imhotep was quite literally one of the most intelligent human beings who has ever lived. He was the first architect who built the first pyramid, which was the largest structure in the world at the time, reaching the heights of 225 feet. He was also an astronomer. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he was also a brilliant physician who wrote the earliest medical text called the Edwin Smith. Papyrus. Again, does that sound familiar to you? Let's be honest with one another. This person, Imhotep, sounds an awful lot like the Joseph of the Bible. And I know you probably know the story, but allow me to refresh your memory because I've actually got something to confess to you. Before I tell you who I think built the pyramids, I need to let you know this. I've not come here today really to talk about the pyramids and I've not even come to tell you about this biblical person Joseph I've come to tell you about someone 
someone else far more important than all of this put together. All the way through Joseph's life, we see a typology. That's just a fancy word to say we see a picture of Jesus Christ. Joseph was beloved by his father Jacob. He loved his son so much that he gave him that famous coat of many colours. And likewise, we know that God loved his only begotten son, Jesus. He was the one who God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Joseph's brothers were from the tribes of Israel and they became jealous of Joseph and tried to put him to death, just like it was the tribes of Israel who also became jealous of Jesus and put him to death on a cross. We also know that Joseph's brothers, they decided to strip off that cloak from him and they sold him for a few pieces of silver to those merchants in Egypt. And likewise, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he was put on the cross, they stripped off his cloak from him and there he stood before all men, ashamed. And not only this, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And some would even say that this friend could even be seen as one of his brothers. And how much did they sell him for? Just a few pieces of silver. In Egypt, Joseph's reputation was immaculate and he prospered in everything he did when he worked under Potiphar's house. But one day, Potiphar's wife fancied him. She took a liking to him because Joseph was a very attractive man and so she tempted him. But Joseph ran away and did not sin in this situation. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, he had a beautiful reputation. He was totally righteous. And although Joseph was tempted, we do know Joseph was not perfect. But Jesus was even higher than this. Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin because he was totally righteous. Even though Joseph was totally innocent, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and was cast into prison alongside two criminals. And likewise, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, was also unjustly accused and he was put on a cross next to two criminals. There, Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the darling of heaven, the jewel, the righteous one, there on the cross, the Holy One of Israel suffered and died for my sin and your sin. All the rottenness that you and I have ever committed was put on Jesus Christ. It's almost as if God the Father rolled up his sleeves and he reached into every single person's heart and pulled out all of the muck, all of the grime, all of the sin, all of the lies, all of the pride, and he puts it on Jesus Christ. And there Christ was tormented. There Christ absorbed the wrath of God so that you and I can be forgiven. If we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a sacrifice that was paid there. His blood was shed there so that we can be forgiven, that our sins can be washed away. And right now today, the doors of forgiveness are flung wide open for any of us to walk through if we're willing to take this opportunity. Today, there is an opportunity for us to be forgiven if we'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to be our Lord and Saviour if we ask him for forgiveness. But come with me. Let's just go back to Joseph for a moment. See him there in prison. And next to him are these two criminals. Did you know that one of the criminals, the baker, received death, but the other, the cupbearer, received life? And again, that is exactly the same picture we see 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, one of the criminals stubbornly rejected the Lord Jesus Christ all the way to his death. But the other one looked at Jesus, recognised that this man was special, this was God in a skin, this was the saviour of the world, and he said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus Christ in that moment pronounced that man as a man who was saved, a man who would see the Lord Jesus Christ in paradise. So I wonder, which of these two criminals are you like today? Will you stubbornly reject the Lord Jesus Christ even though you know he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Will you go to your grave and say, I do not need Jesus Christ, I will die in my sin? Or will you be the wise one who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his eternal life, his forgiveness, and know that Jesus can say to you, today you will be with me in paradise when you breathe your final breath. But perhaps the most beautiful thing of all is that even though Joseph was down in the dark depths of this prison, one day he was exalted. One day he was taken from the depths of this prison all the way to the heights of the authority of being the most powerful man in Egypt. And likewise, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, he was put in a dark cold tomb but on the third day even though he was dead he rose from the grave and he was taken from the depths of this darkness from the depths of death itself and he was exalted he was raised to the heights of heaven because you do know that Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven and right now he sits at the right hand of the Father on high and right now he rules and he reigns. And even though our king is powerful, even though Joseph, you remember, he was so powerful, when his brothers came to him, Joseph began to weep because he loved them. Even though he was a man that should be feared, even though his brothers had hurt him, he had a tenderness, a compassion for the ones who he loved. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is one who we should fear. He also has a tenderness, a compassion. He wept for the people of Israel and today he gently holds his arms out to you and says, come receive my forgiveness and my eternal life because I love you and I really want to save you today. If only you would be willing. Okay, you've been very patient. Here is the moment you've all been waiting for. Now just remember this, I'm not an archeologist. I'm not an expert. I'm just a random bold guy on the internet. But personally, I believe the one who built these pyramids was Imhotep. I believe he got the ball rolling and yes, I actually do believe that this man Imhotep is also the Joseph that we read about in the Bible. Because I've got to say, where did this man get such genius from? Well personally I think it was the Lord God who gave him this mind, who gave him this brain to design such fantastic structures. And I know it might sound strange to you skeptics, but please never ever say that there's no evidence for the Bible. Because right here is a video packed full of biblical archaeology.